Good morning to all of you who are tuning in for this Facebook Live broadcast of the Rock Church Squamish's Sunday morning worship. And uh, we are really glad and happy that you are able to join us from wherever you are at, uh, whether it is out of your living room, kitchen, and it could even be that you're still lying in bed this morning. Uh, we're glad to have you join us uh, through this platform. And we want to invite anyone who is maybe tuning in for the very first time to make yourself known through the chat function on the Facebook Live. Uh, it would be great if we got to know you and can connect with you and maybe see how we can, yeah, serve you, pray with you, and even plug you into one of our community groups, our uh, missional community groups that meet once a week. And we mainly do that still at this stage via Zoom, but some groups have started meeting up, and, and throughout the summer, some groups will periodically try and meet. So it would be great to hear from you and just see in what kind of way we can serve you. Listen up. Uh, we are now, for the rest of the summer, we have shifted our attention to preach out of the, the book of Micah. It's not in Luke anymore, but for the summer, we're in Micah. And Glenn kicked us off last week with the first sermon out of this series. And uh, we are very excited about the summer series going through the book of Micah. As we here at the Rock Church really believe that it is the best possible book for us to work through right now in this cultural moment that we're experiencing. And uh, I would just like to, at the start of my message here today, just get us up to speed again with, with what we heard last week and, and what the book of Micah is all about. Now, as we heard last week when Glenn had, had spoken and had preached from the first chapter of Micah, uh, the book of Micah, of course, was written by the prophet Micah of Moresheth, roughly between the years of 740 to 700 years B.C. In other words, that's really a long time ago, right? That's like, what is that, 2,760 years ago to be exact. That's two and a half millennia. And it was written as an oracle of God. In other words, a prophetic utterance to the people of Israel. And specifically, the northern kingdom of Israel, which was situated in the Samaria region or, or with Samaria as its capital. And then to the people of Judah, which uh, was the southern kingdom and had Jerusalem as their capital. And Glenna touched on the fact that the nation of Israel had split into two kingdoms in the year 930 B.C. So you had this northern kingdom called Israel where ten tribes of Israel were there. And you had the southern kingdom of Judah where two tribes of Israel were part of that kingdom. And so this is a prophetic message from God through this prophet Micah to both of these kingdoms. Now, when you hear the word oracle, what comes to mind? What comes to mind for you when you hear that word? Because it's, it's an odd word. We don't really use it nowadays. Uh, what, what came to mind for me was the movie 
The Matrix. How many of you remember that movie out of the 90s? It was 1999, I believe, and it was right before the year 2000, right before the millennium ended and we entered into a new millennium, and there was all these concerns about whether the world was going to end because the Y2K bug was going to hit all the computers around the world, right? And everyone was just so anxious, <laughs> very similar like today. And The Matrix was an interesting movie because it, it was this brilliant movie about a character named Neo Anderson, played by uh, Keanu Reeves. And he was this computer uh, genius and programmer by day and a hacker by night. And he was living in the world, but knew that, listen, something wasn't right. There was some, something odd about this world that he was living in. And he wanted to find out what the truth was. And, and then he gets contacted by these two characters, Morpheus and Trinity, and they reveal to him that, yeah, his suspicions are, are correct. And, and Morpheus believes that Neo is a chosen one or the chosen one. And he invites Neo then to make a choice, either take a blue pill or a red pill. If he was going to take, I believe it was the red pill, he's going to explore how deep the rabbit hole went or goes. But if he took the blue pill, he would just stay in that world, in the matrix, and it, you know nothing would change. And they then take him on this journey where he visits a character called the Oracle, an old lady. And she is supposed to be this prophetic person who tells Neo whether or not he is this chosen one, this messianic figure that was going to deliver the people from the oppressive state of the matrix. And so this oracle tells Neo, in the end, what he needs to hear. She doesn't give him a clear answer, and Morpheus says, listen, the oracle told you exactly what you needed to hear. And so we see then, Neo become this chosen one, this messianic figure, this person who then liberates the people from the matrix based on what he heard from the oracle. And now you might be at this stage asking, listen, Rudy, why on earth are you talking about the matrix, man? We're, we're in the Bible. This is Micah. Well, I've got to tell you, I'm using this example because Micah's oracle, Micah's prophetic utterance here, I believe, is way better than the Matrix. It's way better than the oracle character's message to him in the movie. And I believe this because Micah was a real person. Micah was a real person, and he recorded these very words that God had for his people 2,700 years ago. And those words are still true for us today. They're still true. They are still relevant. They still speak into the lives of God's people. And I can immediately hear someone, a skeptic, say, hey, listen, hold up. What, what is up with these people? What is up with this rock church here in Squamish? Why on earth would they be 
reading and listening and, and preaching from a book that is over two and a half millennia old. Like, have they not woken up to the times? Do they not realize that we are in progressive times? This is post-modernism, post-enlightenment, man. Wake up. And my response to you, if, if that's what you're thinking, is the following. Hold that thought. Hold that thought and stay seated as we investigate, as we go and have a look at what Micah has to say to us and what it will reveal to us here at the end before we just very quickly jump to those conclusions. And so with that, let's pray and jump into today's text. Yeah, Father, we thank you for this new day. Lord, we thank you for your grace upon us. We thank you for the fact that we can hear your word. And Father, we thank you that we can come and ask now for your help. Holy Spirit, come and help us. Come and reveal to us the message that you have for us. And come and show us. Show us Jesus. Give us a clearer picture and give us a revelation, Lord, of your work on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So this morning, the title of my message is that Jesus alone restores. And the outline is as follows. We're first going to see a healthy rebuke. Secondly, that lies bring oppression. And thirdly, truth brings restoration. Let's have a look at the first point under a healthy rebuke. Micah 2 verses 1 to 5, and I'll be breaking it down uh, verse by verse as we read through this. Micah writes here in chapter 2, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it is in their power, or in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them, and houses, and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. So at the start of chapter 2, Micah carries on in the same breath of chapter 1. By decreeing calamity and affliction through using the word woe. Woe are those who devise wickedness. He means to say you are doomed. You are doomed for destruction. Now, why do these people devise these wicked schemes? And why do they come up with these evil plans? Well, according to Micah, it is because they have the power. They have the power to do this, to carry it out. And he lists the wickedness that they plan. It's 
covetousness, theft, robbery of people and their inheritance. We hear in these two verses here once again the reason for God's judgment and may I say God's discipline of His very own people, His very own children. The reason why God is decreeing this, why He is bringing this judgment, why He is bringing this discipline is because of the wickedness and evil that is still at work in the lives of of his people. It is clear that the nation of Israel had fallen into a situation where there was moral decay, there was utter moral failure. But it was specifically the people who were in the position of power who had failed, who had failed the nation. These people were the rich, the politicians, the religious leaders. They were the ones who were supposed to govern. They were the ones who were supposed to protect those who were most vulnerable and, according to society, easily expendable. Does that sound familiar? Does that maybe, just maybe, bring to light for you what I had said in the beginning, that Micah is really the perfect book for us at this stage to look at. Because, oh boy, it does sound very familiar. It is the story of the world since the beginning of time. It is, it is the story that plays itself out in history over and over again. Because history does tend to repeat itself. And i got to tell you, this is why here at the Rock Church Squamish, we love the Bible. We're open and clear about that. We love the Bible. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And we believe that the Bible tells us the truth. We believe that the Bible does not beat around the bush. The Bible does not hide away from the fact that all people have fallen short of God's glory. The Bible does not sugarcoat even the lives of those people that claimed Him, God, as their God. He calls out their sin and He brings to light this truth that man is still at the core of his being, wicked, evil, and oppressive to those who are at the shorter end of the measuring stick. Now, you might immediately react to that statement. You might hear me say, listen, man, I really don't believe this, Rudy. Like, hold on there. How can you call me evil? How can you call me wicked based on that text? You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't plan wickedness and evil at night in my bed and, and carry them out the next day. I'm a hardworking man or a woman. 
I'm not oppressing anyone through what I do and how I live my life. But I believe if we are truly honest, we would hear Micah maybe, just maybe, ask us the following. Micah might perhaps ask this. Really? Really, Christian? Is this really true of God's people? Aren't there 68% of men in church and 33% of women under 25 years of age in the church looking at pornographic materials that supports a 97 million or billion dollar industry rather and that contributes towards the exploitation of women through sex trafficking? Is that not coveting theft and robbery of people's inheritances? Or maybe Micah might ask us this. Church, what about the research that shows that four out of ten women in America who have had an abortion were churchgoers, but they had felt that the church would gossip rather than be of help to a single lady who was pregnant. Wouldn't Micah say, Woe to you, for this is robbery of young women's inheritance in the church. You see, here's the truth the Bible gives us, God's people. We are no different than these people we read about in the book of Micah. We are no different than the Israelites who devise wicked and evil and oppressive plans and carry them out in the sight of God. Because we do that. Even if we don't do that with our deeds, even if we're in a place where we still defend our deeds, we say, hey, but really, I don't even do that, Rudy. I don't go onto the internet and watch those images. Or I don't... I've never committed sins like that. God still calls us out because we think about those issues in our minds and in our hearts. If you don't believe me, listen to this standard in Matthew 5 when Jesus puts it this way with his Beatitudes. Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment because in Jesus' opinion, just by being angry, at someone, you are a murderer. Jesus, by his standard, said that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. And so by that standard, 
it flattens all of us. I believe if we are honest and in a place of, of humility, we would have to acknowledge that all of us have been there. All of us do really fall short of God's standard and His glory. And I believe it is by this standard that Micah's words should be piercing our hearts immediately to acknowledge that we too deserve this rebuke. We too deserve to hear God speak these words to us. Because as one scholar notes in his commentary about Micah that I, I read in preparing this message, he writes, he says, after rebuke comes restoration. After rebuke comes restoration. But before restoration can come, there must first be consequences. Micah highlights the consequences that Israel would face as a result of their unrepentant sin towards God. Because God is a perfect and a just God, and He has to deal with their sin. He is a good and a faithful Father who has to deal with disobedience like any good parent would and actually should do. He goes on to say in verses 3 to 5, Therefore says the, says the Lord, Behold, against this family, in other words, against Israel, I am devising disaster. So in other words, because of your wickedness, there is a consequence, disaster is coming, from which you cannot remove your next. Like someone who is facing the death penalty, and there's a noose around their neck. And you shall not walk haughtily. For it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people. How he removes it from me. To an apostate he allots our fields. Therefore you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. As I had said, these words seem really harsh from God. Our initial reaction might be, this is too heavy. This is harsh, man. They seem unloving. And my immediate response, I have to admit, is to resist it. But I believe our problem today is that we have created a culture where correcting someone through a rebuke, a correction, and a consequence to help them in the right direction has become despised. We live in such a time of anti-authoritarian life where we distrust and suspect any kind of authority, any kind of authority that actually want to help and assist us. You might ask me, Rudy, how do you know this? I'll put up my hand first. I, say, I would say that I'm, I'm the first to acknowledge that that is something that I struggle with. I've seen it play out in the classroom, having been a teacher for 12 years. 
teaching high school students, working with parents. So I've seen it play out, play out practically in my life. And so when we hear God's plans of disaster on the people of Israel, we are confronted with this image again, this image of someone with authority over us, trying to restore us through correction and rebuke, but we resist it. The consequence of their sin, we know at the end of chapter 1, is that they were going to be taken captive. They were going to end up in exile in a foreign nation. And these people who had been oppressing their own people were now going to become oppressed. Now God's consequence for them, as He has stated there, is that they will not have any share in the land that had been allotted. Because we know the nation of Israel had conquered the promised land and every tribe had a specific area that was allotted to them where they would live. And so the consequence that God is saying is that at the end of this exile, when the nation is going to return, there are going to be those of you that will not have any part of this land. Now what the consequence of that was, of course, is the fact that they were a nation that predominantly focused on agriculture to survive, that these people that were the oppressors of the poor and the needy were in the end going to become the poor and the needy in the land. And that was God's consequence for the people that turned away from His covenant. But the big question still remains, why this consequence and why this kind of discipline? Why this rebuke? And not just why the rebuke, but why, why did the people of Israel fall into such a state? And why can we also today have a look at the lives of the people of Israel and then over the course of history, we see the same pattern, we see the same sins, we see the same moral decay in the lives of, of God's people in the church. And I believe we get the answer then in Micah verses 6 to 10, under the second point of lies bring oppression. Micah gives this decree and the people then respond. The people say, hey, do not preach in this way. Do not preach. But they preach. It says that they respond by saying, one should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. 
You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people you drive out from the delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about in utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. You see, the Bible teaches that the main reason why mankind has his intentions and inclinations all bent on wickedness and evil is in the end because of false prophecy. In other words, lies. It started in the Garden of Eden when our great, 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 great ancestors, Adam and Eve, fell for the following lie that was told, or should I rather say, asked of them. It went something like this. Surely you will not die when you can decide for yourself what is good and evil. This was the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden through a whisper of Satan. The people respond to Micah by wanting to silence him. They want to shame him. They, in turn, preach back a message to Micah and to the people by asking this same question that Satan had asked Adam and Eve. They asked, does this really sound like God? Will God really do this to His children? Will He really discipline us in this way? Because they would like to believe that God would never say such a thing as harsh as that to them. And may I say that I, I believe we do the same as the church. Don't we also believe the lie that God is a God who will never confront us about the sin in our lives? How the people react to Micah's message is exactly what the Apostle Paul referred to when he said this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 to 4. He, he said this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy, itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Aren't we all guilty of this? Not just when it comes to the Word of God, but in all spheres of life. We gather for ourselves commentators. Commentators on politics, commentators on economics, commentators on social issues. And they preach to us 
the desires of our heart, the biases that we stand on and believe. We then find ourselves in the exact place where the Israelites found themselves to be deceived. Deceived to the extent that they are blind to the fact that they were breaking God's heart by exploiting the vulnerable and the expendables in society. Micah doesn't hold back any punches. He goes for the jugular by calling the people of Israel at that point in time then God's enemies. Why? Because they broke God's covenant by not doing justice, but rather loving injustice. Micah goes on to say, he lists some other sins, some other ways in which the people are part of this injustice. He says that they stripped the robes off of those who trusted them. And then he says something specifically in verse 8 about women and children. He says that in verse 9 rather, the women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children, you take away their splendor forever. So they were exploiting women and, and widows specifically and children. And the big issue was that no mercy was being shown to those who were struggling to make ends meet. Now on this note of women, I would like to highlight this, that the Bible is all for women. The Bible loves women. God loves women. He had created them in His image and likeness, the Bible says. The Bible is full, full of God's truth about women, about their courage, their valor, their important roles that they have to play in God's kingdom. The problem is that there is a false prophecy. There is a lie out there that... The Bible speaks oppressively to women. And that the Bible wants to limit women. And that the Bible promotes the idea that women need to be silenced and not heard. May I suggest to you that this text once again speaks against this lie and speaks the truth that God has a heart. For women, God has a heart for the call on their lives. An example of God's view on women is, of course, in the creation story of after how God had created everything. And after he had created man, he said, listen, this is good. But after women, after he created Eve, he says, this is very good. But you see, the problem is God's heart and desire for women is in direct opposition to what we see in our culture and what the message is to women. May I share just a, a personal thought on 
verse 9 that talks about how women were oppressed. It, it stated that women were being driven out of their houses from their young children, and the splendor of God is, is then taken away. And I read that and say, it, it sounds like Micah is saying that women of the splendor of God, they are driven out from their houses. And I look at that, and I know this, this might sound controversial again, but, you know, has it not been the notion that in order for women to flourish in our culture for the last 40 or 50 years, that they have to be liberated from this oppressive identity and calling that God has for them in accordance to the Bible? Is that not the lie that we as a culture have bought into? And I'm asking the following question. You know, what if the pressure we as humans are putting on ourselves to choose this, this glamorous life, this utopian life, and to be the people that live with this financial freedom? What if the choices that we are making in this this message that we have bought into is actually leading to us oppressing ourselves and taking away the splendor of God and His intention for women to fulfill the calling upon their lives of taking care of their households, their husbands, their children, at least for a season. But like Micah says to the people of Israel, they only hear what their hearts desire. They only want to hear prophecies and messages that approve their choices. And I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this. And he says, verse 11 actually sounds like this. If someone showed up with a good smile and a glib tongue and told lies from morning to night that sounded like this, Hey, I'll, I'll preach you sermons that will tell you how you can get anything you want from God. More money, the best wines, you name it. You'd hire him on the spot as your preacher. You'd hire him because he preaches exactly what you want to hear. And don't we do the same, church? Don't we only want to listen on Sunday mornings when we are able to hear what we want to hear? And so Micah ends his whole rant on God's anger and judgment upon the nation of Israel. And it, it's all doom and gloom, right? But I want to tell you there's hope. We can take heart, church, because there is good news at the end of this chapter. We must first hear the very, very, very worst news before we can get to the good news 
of restoration. The truth that brings restoration. Micah says there in verses 12 and 13, he says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Remember, in my introduction, I asked the question of why should we take a book that is more than 2,007 years old, this, this prophetic book of Micah, why should we believe it? Why should we take it at its word? And I said, hold on, hold on to that thought. Well, I believe we've come to the answer to that question. And it is around the issue of truth. Micah ends chapter 2 with a message of hope and restoration and redemption. After all the rebuking and correcting. But this promise and prediction from God through Micah that he was going to gather his people again like sheep and return them to the land, that is a story that was fulfilled. It's a story that got fulfilled 700 years after that prophecy, through a shepherd-like king that walked the earth, that king being Jesus Christ. We see in John 10, verse 11, Jesus says the following, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in other places, Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they know my voice. You see, when Jesus walked this earth claiming to be this shepherd-like king, this deliverer that Micah prophesied about, he came bringing the good news of the kingdom not only to the nation of Israel, but to the world. God's intention was always to bring hope to mankind, but the ultimate hope He wanted to bring and establish was the good news that all the oppression that came through the evil and wickedness caused by sin would be laid on Him. He would bear it. He would carry it for all the world and then pay the price for sin, which is death. But not only that, in the end, he would rise from the dead in order that those who believed in him might be set free from the ultimate, the ultimate oppressor and oppression, which is Satan, sin, and death. That is the ultimate truth, the ultimate restoration that comes. 
and the deliverance of God's people. And that is what Micah ends with in this chapter. Friends, in conclusion, may I suggest this. In this current culture that we're living in and in this environment, if we truly want to see the injustices and the oppression and the inequalities that are still present in our daily lives, if we really want to see all of those issues relieved, then the first invitation is to cast off the oppression and the grip that sin has on our lives by first acknowledging our own state of oppression before an almighty and powerful God. That is the first injustice that we ourselves need to acknowledge, that we have sinned against God. This shepherd-like king, Jesus, invites all of us to turn to him in this time to follow him like sheep follow a shepherd and to allow him by his Holy Spirit to, to come into our lives, cleanse us, to change our hearts. And then the promise that Micah gives us, then we will go out like a noisy multitude, a noisy multitude singing and shouting a joyous noise of the good news that Jesus alone restores. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the good news that Lord, over two and a half millennia ago, you, you spoke. You spoke these very words of Micah. Lord, you disciplined your children. But God, you didn't just leave them there. You didn't just leave them in a state where there was no hope. But you provided for them the hope of a Messiah. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that we can rejoice in your provision. We thank you that we can rejoice in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can come and ask this morning, Lord, come and come and convict us of our sins. Come and show us where we where we are in a place of not wanting to acknowledge you as king. And Lord, come and help us. Come and help us to surrender our lives fully to you. Father, I come and pray. Come and revive us. Come and revive your church. Come and restore us. Come and lead us in your ways. Lord, we pray for that. We ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Lord, be blessed. I pray a blessing over your people. I pray a blessing over the Rock Church. I pray a blessing over this town, Squamish, over BC and over the nation of Canada. Father, we come and pray 
for the injustices that is still at work in the lives of people. And Father, come and help us and lead us to show your glory and to show your love to a world that is hurting. Give us courage to do that. And Lord, we come and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.